This is really about being free to create what you want your life to look like. We each are our own hero. And how do we take the challenges that come our way and see those as the birth process of us becoming heroic? Can you meet that judgment that ultimately will surface with neutrality? This is the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. Aloha, everybody. Thank you so much for watching the Wall Street Coach Podcast. I'm really honored to have you here. I know you have limited time, so thank you for watching. Please do us a favor, subscribe and like that button because it does help in the algorithms that YouTube is. I also wanted to make sure you're on my email list, Curtain Call. It's a play, of course, off of my last name, which is spelled C-U-R-T-I-N, but I thought Curtain Call was kind of catchy. And I really hope you'll sign up for it. We're going to put the link to how to sign up for my weekly email, which is going to be of really topics that matter to traders and investors and executives and entrepreneurs. I really believe that how you do one thing is how you do all things. So if you're struggling in any way with your trading and want to up level, this email is definitely for you. Please come and join it. We have thousands of subscribers to it. And it's free. Of course, it will always be free. But I'd love to share some thoughts that I feel and questions that will be intriguing to you and help you on your journey. Come and sign up. Enjoy this podcast now. Aloha, everybody. Welcome back to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. I am very excited today to have my friend and colleague, Michael Milani, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Mondium Capital on my podcast. Mike, welcome to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. I will say aloha as well. I don't know if that means hello or goodbye, but um, I'm glad to be Thanks for having me. It's so good to have you here. We interrupted not only a car accident of Mike's or a fender bender, but also him hobnobbing with Justin Bieber on the east end of Long Island. How does Justin Bieber look these days? Again, he was sitting at a table. I ran by him on the way here. I'm running. You're not going to be able to tell on this, but I was running 15 minutes late. So Kim was lucky enough to give me a little extra time to be on this, but I ran by and, and here we are. So I'm glad to be here. Well, and safe and sound, all my limbs and everything else. So we're good, to go. good thing. Thank God. I'm so glad That's for that. Amen. Well, just so you guys have some background about Mike, we're going to talk about his background too, but I want you to hear the formal background. He oversees all aspects of this firm's operations. Montium Capital is a brokerage firm. Do you describe yourself in addition to being a brokerage firm? Is that the best way to describe what you guys are up to? Because you're up to so much. Well, again, yeah, we're, we're a, a broker-dealer, um, self-directed, experienced traders, specifically in the active trader space, right? I say this, we had this conversation before about the difference between investors and traders, and there's a, there's a really big difference. Investors are people that are purchasing securities or investments for the longer term. Traders are really more on a cash flow, more technical than fundamental, although the most sophisticated ones use a little bit of both, or depending on, on the strategies. Um, but yeah, we're a, a FINRA-regulated broker-dealer, which is a headache at times, as, as you know. I have a great team of people. You've met some of them when we were together in San Diego not too long ago. No. And uh, yeah, we're, uh, again, it's definitely a challenging environment for new brokerage firms in general in terms of acquiring customers and whatnot. But we're, we're trucking along, and uh, the market's been helpful a little bit in terms of that breaking out of the new highs and a little bit of pullback here. But 
we're, we're excited to, to be in the game and to, to be in the market. And just for context, today is July 7th, 2023. So everybody knows Mike has been involved in all active trading and financial technology for over 25 years. His skill set spans all of financial technology, trading systems, and risk management. Throughout his career, he's helped lots of firms carry out really ambitious business strategies and achieve really rapid growth, develop new products, asset classes, and recruit manage large teams. And Mike holds a BS from Villanova University. Why a brokerage firm of all the things that you really are capable of creating? What was the reason you decided this is what you were going to do? I was in wealth management right out of college, uh, which to me is a glorified term for salesperson, where I was smiling and dialing and, you know, prospecting and things like that, which really wasn't for me. I got involved in active trading in the early 2000s for myself. I traded for myself for a long time. And I think that's what gives me a little bit different of a perspective on all of this. And I think a lot of the guys that run these brokerage firms, the fact that I was a trader first. And and, and again, we I spoke at the Gerbil conference that you were at as well. We talked a little bit about things I wish I knew 20 years ago when I started this and things I wish I could have asked a, a CEO of a broker-dealer. Just so you know, my the PR firm we work with wrote all that stuff. It glorifies me a little bit. Again, I, I consider myself to be sort of, uh, I have a blue collar work ethic and, and I hire my team in that that regard. So we all get our hands dirty and everything else. Nobody's on a, a cloud kind of overseeing anything. At least I know I'm not. But yes, yeah, so like the instant gratification of trading, I like the fact you make a trade, you buy a stock, sell a stock or you sell it and it goes down, you buy it back. There's an instant success or an instant failure to it. And, and to me, that was a big part of my draw to it. Again, I... I wanted to, to do well for myself. I wanted to be successful in a financial way. And trading allowed me to do that. Again, I, I, I tell people what, what trading does for everybody is really more, instead of being something where you can make tons of money, and again, honestly, you can, it's more of a lifestyle to me. It's more of a flexibility. It's more of the fact that you come and go as you please. Uh, there's days where trading's very fertile and you're excited to kind of put your body armor on and go attack markets in those days where it's not as fertile and it's uh, and you can take a step back from it. So what trading did for me and what I love about it is really the flexibility of the lifestyle, the ability to do it from anywhere. And that's why as I sort of came through this path or this journey, as you call it, we talked about it a couple of times, as somebody who now runs a brokerage firm, a lot of the, the people that I've been talking to talk about their firm and saying, I'm just a number or I'm just an account number and I can't get anybody to listen to me or my trading strategy is very specific. I need somebody to help me hone these things. And specifically with a lot of these bulge bracket firms, I'm not going to mention firm names because they all do a great job. The Richard Branson thing of don't start a business, solve a problem was really, we wanted to start a firm that traders who are unicorns. I mean, a lot of these traders that are active, that are hyperactive in the market, that are live and die by the market kind of traders, I want it to be a place where they could go, specialized routing strategies. Oh, you you can't find this located. Your broker will give us a call, reach out to us. We will find it for you. Our commission structure is very, very transparent. But more importantly than that, we really want it to be a place where traders can be more than just an account number. So again, I would love to be a bulge bracket firm where I didn't know all my traders personally. Hopefully I'll get to that point. But for right now, we're really doing a good job of hand-holding and making sure that 
our traders feel like they are the value customers that they need to be. And what would you say a trader, what would be the best criteria a trade could say to themselves, oh, Mondium sounds like a good match for me? Name some, tick off some of the bullet points that a sure. trader listening to us who wants to consider your firm would want to be able to answer first. Sure. Remember, there's a lot of all the firms out there, right? Everybody listening to this, and again, we only take experienced traders who have been trading for a year or more, right? So every trader that's going to trade in Mondia has traded somewhere else before. Otherwise, we wouldn't take them. It's it's just sort of the way we structured our firm. We want traders, and again, traders that are with their firm and they're saying they're not getting the service that they want. They're not, they don't like the way their routes are going. They don't like the stock loan inventory that they have. They're being charged commissions or overcharged commissions where in the case of zero commission brokers, they don't like the way their routes are filling because their brokers are selling orders, they're market makers. Right. So almost all the traders that we have, again, have traded with other firms and most of them have multiple accounts. Our commission structure is very, very flexible. We charge a flat five mil rate for commissions across the board, which is every time I, I see decimal places and five mils and 50 mils, my head explodes. Well, five mils is 50 cents per thousand. I've always hated very complicated commission structures or contracts in general, where people will give you a 12-page contract and say, oh yeah, it's just one thing. I, I know someone's trying to beat me when that's what happens. So I try to keep it simple. So we want people that will come to us. They're active traders. They're active in the markets. They need specialized help. They, I realize that each individual trader is basically their own, they're running their own trading business and they need very specific things in order to be successful. So we wanted to be a firm where they could reach out to us, find out our opinions, again, on routing strategies or helping them build different things, or I can't get this located, or what am I being charged in stock loan or stock locate? Let's be very transparent about it because I know a lot of firms aren't. But like I said, the service level of it is really where I like we shine. The commissions are what are people are going to look at us and say, let me give these guys a shot. Once you're on the other side of us, we've had a very, very um, successful customer rating from our from our customers in terms of being happy with us and we're very proud of it i'm very proud of it beautiful we met mike and i at the diner what was it was it mary jane's diner at the hard track uh, yeah, something like that uh, it was and we just wound up having lunch next to each other at the counter it's like you know 1950s kind of diner setup yep. and we i heard you talking with your colleague and and then New York City got mentioned at some point, and this was in San Diego. And I was just so happy to hear somebody talk about New York City. So it was just a great conversation. And we shared some stories about just the world of finance back in the day. And if I'm not mistaken, you were part owner of a restaurant that was at my old stomping grounds, Alphabet City, just a few blocks away from 14 and Avenue B where I lived. What was the name of that restaurant again? Uh, ninth, ninth and C. It was called the Sunburnt Out. It was an Australian place. Yeah, I was, I was 29 years old. I was I was in the trading business. One of my traders came up to me and said, would you, do you want to buy into a restaurant? Because it was right after 9-11. It was 2003, 2004. And uh, again, I'm 29 years old and I was fortunate enough to have resources and I said, sure. So there was... Uh, Eight or nine years in there, we, we wound up with four of them. It was in a, it was a really exciting time. Probably ate and drank a little too much from my health. It wasn't, it wasn't a great time for that. But other than that, spent a lot of time on Avenue C. I was living in the city for a long time. Great time in my life. I met my wife there. And like I said, her and I moved out to Long Island 
I was living in the city. I had a house in Long Island, probably 06. Yeah. And we've been out here ever since. So, uh, but again, I, I, I noticed in the back, uptown in the Bronx, I'm, I was born in the Bronx. I, I, I like to talk about my roots there. You know, people here, you live on Long Island and you're in the brokerage business. They think you're a certain kind of way. I'm a, I'm a blue collar kid from the, from the Bronx, like, like yeah. uh, so many of us. Yeah. And yeah. I'm from Brooklyn. Not the Bronx, but, but they both have, they both have their blue collar kind of vibe. Exactly. But like I said, that's, I'd rather be known for that yeah. and kind of sort of more humble roots yeah. than wherever we all end up. But, but yeah, that was a great conversation. And the funny thing about meeting Kim at the, at the restaurant was I looked at her and I hadn't met her before. And obviously I, I have a big LinkedIn presence and I followed her on LinkedIn. And I said, Oh, Kim, I said, Oh, I can't wait to hear you speak. And she goes, yeah, it's great. I just spoke 15 minutes ago. You missed it. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> so that's how we kind of got this intro. And it, it started a friendship that obviously, uh, you know, three months later, we're, we're still kind of cultivating. So it was awesome. Oh, true. Well, I just want to speak to, you know, what I can only imagine your customer services at your firm, because having worked in finance myself before I even started coaching 17 years ago, I just know that back in the day, you know, I was, I was given a BlackBerry when I was at my first hedge fund. And it was all about the speed of responding. Like, like I still have a drummer in my thumb from the BlackBerry days because I was just always on it. And like Pavlovian response when I saw that red blinking light at the top of the BlackBerry. And when you and I first started to communicate, I was like, I barely pressed send and you would give me a response back. So I just want to speak to how that is like a classic, you know, if we're prob I'm probably putting us both, aging us both, but that was the energy of Wall Street, you know, back in the day. It was all about speed, responsiveness, service, really connecting to people instantly. And yeah. you did that in such a way with me that I was like, wow, this reminds me when I got the hedge fund, this guy is on it like white on rice. Yeah. I, I mean, again, whether whether you're a friend of mine, you're a customer of mine, a colleague of mine, my wife says this all the time. That's just the way that I respond to people in general. And, and remember, it's not necessarily I'm on top of things. And I, I like to think that I am. It's more of if you send me a text message or an email or any sort of correspondence, if I don't answer you back right now, because Everyone says, oh, I'm too busy for this. I had 30 seconds to shoot you a text back. Most of the time I'm doing something or I'm talking to somebody else's as I'm doing these things. But uh, if I don't respond to you right now, yeah. I'm going to forget about it. And, and, and it's going to fall by the wayside. And there's going to be 15 other things in the queue that are in front of me because we're all very busy. But I think people, personally, I don't know if they appreciate it as much because I, I kind of come on strong too much sometimes. But in terms of, from a professional standpoint, I think people really appreciate, they call you, you respond back, and, and you're really on top of your game. And the most important thing for me is that, obviously I, I can only be in so many places. The people that, that work with me, they have to be that way as well, right? So when I hire somebody or I'm interviewing somebody, I look for that in employees and, and colleagues and vendors are you going to, are you going to call me back? Remember, it's very easy for somebody to call you back or to reach out to you when things are great. When there's a system issue or there's a problem or there's an issue with your commissions or there's the market's not going well, that's when you really need your firm to call you back. 
Yes. And that's really been a staple for me throughout my whole career is, I may not like what he says, but he's on top of it. He's in my face about it. He's going to call me back. Yep. Um, he's going to be communicative. And uh, yeah, so like I said, I, I treat everybody that way. And hopefully I didn't come on too strong because I have a tendency to do that sometimes. No, I just well, I just could feel the New York City finance guy vibe right away. And I was just like, oh, it felt like home. I was like, I know this vibe. This is what finance in you know, the 90s and early 2000s was. That's how you yeah. got the deals was to how to be on it like white on rights. If you're not on top of it, if you're not responding, there's somebody who's going to be fast. So my whole thing is I am not the smartest guy. I mean, literally, I am, I'm not the smartest guy on our own payrolls. I have much smarter people that work with them than me. Nobody's working harder than I am. And I'm, I'm on top of my game. My team is on top of their game. And if, if they're not, they're, they're not working with me. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of the way we treat things around here. And that's the kind of attentiveness we want to give both to our customers, our vendors, and everybody else. What's because you've been a trader and because you started trading so many years ago, what do you think that are the biggest changes that traders have gone through and or at least now are up against? What's the biggest challenge currently traders are up against that maybe you didn't have to deal with way back when you began? I mean, remember, I, I started in the early 2000s, so you had things like decimalization and uptick rules and reg SHO and you know, a lot of the regulation changes that happened over time. And then you had some technology changes that kind of came through. The way I describe it is I feel like the traders, when I first started trading, were trading, playing a video game, right? There were articles that people would say, well, we didn't even know what the, the companies we were trading did. The market was moving, the stock was up. So therefore we were trading it. It was a video game, it was checkers. And I think these days with the speed of the information and now with AI, AI stuff coming out, the, the way that computers and, and, and black boxes and algorithms are processing this information is, is happening so much faster that traders need to be outstandingly well-read. They need to know everything about what the CPI number is, when the housing number is coming out. Really talented traders, they're in a, in a symbol. They're in Tesla. You'll speak to them and say, oh, just so you know, Tesla's coming out with earnings at the close today. And they'll look at you and say, well, of course I knew that. Otherwise, why would I be in the business? So I think this has evolved where it's much more of a thinking person's game than it once was. And it, it's still very challenging and very difficult to be successful. And um, there's still a very high failure rate. But the, the most talented traders that I know of, they live and breathe it. They're up early. They're they're up late. Um, they've read everything they possibly can get. And there's nothing that they don't know. From a technology standpoint, they have... Some of the, you know, the, the better professional grade trading technology, and we use DOS Trader Pro and Sterling Trader Pro are two that we use here at Mondium. Again, we built some of our own technology, at least my, our holding company has. I have to be careful with who owns what, but our holding company has built some technology that will be, that Mondium Capital will be utilizing at some point. But in terms of, you know, whether it's news feeds or filtering services or, or whatever, they've got sort of an arsenal of, of weapons in front of them to attack the market with. And if you don't have all those things and the trader next to you does, you're, you're going to be at a disadvantage. So I, I think it's very tech heavy these days. I think you have to be on your game and you can't just... Back in the day, I used to, we used to wake up with flip-flops and cargo shorts on, roll into the office after a night out and say, hey, I'm ready to you know make X number of dollars and, and go home for the day. 
there, there's sharper people out there that are allowing that not to happen. Because like I said, as quickly as you can make a lot of money, you can lose a ton of money as well. So you really need to be on your D and you need to be sharp and want to be well read. And I think, like I said, today's traders are playing chess where we were all playing checkers 20 years ago. What do you feel is just the outlook for the rest of this year going into 2024? What are your predictions just about the market itself, Powell? And I joke that if, if I knew where the market was going, I'd be in Sichi or something, or I'd be in Hawaii with a friend of mine. I, I don't know. And again, I've learned a long time ago that uh, when people ask me, well, what do you think of the markets? And should I buy this stock? I have no idea. I'm not in that business. My trade is self-directed. I am at the bottom of the hill selling picks and shovels, not mining for gold. Um, again, I do have investments personally. It's all discretionary and whatnot. I, again, I think, I don't know if we're out of the, the woods yet in terms of interest rate hikes and things like that. I think there is some underlying fear still in the markets out there. Again, I'm glad we broke out of that range recently. I think NVIDIA and, and some of the... Uh, the chip stocks had something to do with it in terms of breaking out of the range. But again, I'm very reactionary in terms of the market rather than proactive. I don't know where it's going, but yeah, I still think there's some fear in the market out there. For sure. Do you feel there are certain recommendations you would make to traders? Obviously, you're working with traders who are sophisticated, who have been trading for a while. What are some of the recommendations, overarching ones, that you would give to Traders that are under five for 10 years of experience. Sure. Again, the ability to adapt to me is the most important thing, right? I, I knew a lot of traders early on that had very specific strategies they were running. And the market is so dynamic and changing so quickly. And there's so many smarter people in the markets, algorithms and black box, things like that, that they're constantly removing edges from the market and creating new ones. So it's a matter of not being married to one trading strategy, not being married to one time frame, being flexible, communicating with other traders. And we, we talked about the trading community that you and I met at, having these big trading communities where everybody can kind of talk about what's working for you, what's not working for you, and sort of collaborating together, I think is really, really important. Trading is a real only game if you allow it to be. I always envision traders in their basement in dark rooms with a CNBC up on the wall. But you really want to communicate with everybody and figure out what's working and what's not. Remember, most traders that are making a ton of money are not going to tell you that. And most guys that are losing or traders that are losing are not going to tell you that either. So you got to read between the lines a little bit. But again, I, I think it's adaptability and making sure that understanding what type of market environment you're in a sideways market, bull market, bear market, you're in a market where breakouts are false and tend to pull back in. So being cognizant and aware of, of your surroundings thing is really, really important, but just adapting to the market environment that are, that's around, realizing that, like Tom Hanks said in one of the um, Instagram videos I was watching where this too shall pass. Things are great, things are wonderful. This too shall pass, things are terrible. You, you think life is falling apart, this too shall pass. Just realize the market in general is cyclical and you need to ride the waves when things are good and realize when they're bad, they're not gonna stay bad for them. So good. I'm just, because of my focus, of course, always on emotional intelligence, where do you stand on the importance of emotional intelligence for traders, for yourself, and just for those who are, you know, wanting to be successful in their careers, whatever their profession might be? Yeah. Well, for me personally, I was definitely more high octane and more of a hothead in my my younger years. My my friends always joke about, well, 25-year-old Mike Milani never would have allowed that to happen. And <laughs> 
45-year-old Mike Milani seems a lot more subdued and relaxed. I don't know if I'm subdued and relaxed. I think I'm just a little wiser with the way I go about things and a little bit more patient. I think patience is something that I used to view as a negative. Oh, this person's patient. Patience, but you can't be patient. You need to be up on, on you know, up at the throat of whatever you're dealing with. Now I'm realizing that there's there's a, there's a wisdom in patience that I didn't have when I was younger. And again, I I'm sure I'll look back at 65 year old Mike Milani saying, "Who the hell was this idiot when he was 45?" Now, but yeah, in, in terms of emotional intelligence for traders, it's it's everything. And we talked about it before how how you handle things when things are good. It's easy. It's when you have five down trading days in a row and your head is spinning and you don't know quite what to make of things or every trait you put on seems to go against you and you feel like this conspiracy that this market maker is out to get you and apple has a picture of you in the in the market making queue that says i am taking kim's money <laughs> and i've heard it all from from traders over the years where they'll they'll look at these things and and they'll think that the market's out to get them when they really just need to take a step back, take a deep breath, take a day off. They can walk around the block, whatever it is, realize you don't want to blow up your whole bankroll or blow up your account or whatever it is. Being sharp mentally is everything, in my opinion. And you have to make sure you understand day to day that, again, there's a rough day for you today. It'll be a better day tomorrow. And more importantly, I Really good traders tend to get what I call the Superman complex, where everything is working for them and they feel like they can leap tall buildings in a single bound and fly through windows and everything else. And they're in for a rude awakening that they need to stay humble because the market will do it for you and all out. So I think that the the mental aspect of it, and this is something that you and I talked about with the thing that we did, the uh, I forget what you call it. The, uh, the assessment, greater positioning, which, which again, I, I don't talk about it out loud because it was fantastic. I don't want to, I don't want to ruin the surprise of it for other people. But I thought it was was amazing, and my my team's going to be doing it soon as well. We talked about it towards the end of the summer, but I think understanding yourself mentally and kind of knowing yourself, knowing what your limitations are, knowing where your breaking points are, I think are really important to being successful in the trading business. And if nothing else is working for you, just wait it out calm down, relax. And that's something I wish a younger me had known a little bit better rather than charging through every window and kicking down every door. And I like to think I'm, I'm a smarter and a better man for it these days. You know, there's a great line in It's a Wonderful Life where this uh, older guy's watching him, you know, woo Jimmy Stewart's characters, wooing his new girlfriend, the woman he's interested in. And, you know, he's talking to her too much. And the guy on the front porch says, you know, youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> it's just like such a great line. Because he's like, am I talking too much? And he asked that of the girl. And the guy on the porch is like, yes, you are talking too much. Just kiss her, damn it. Exactly. <laughs> and he's like, youth is wasted on the young. It's such a great. I, I didn't understand it when I first heard it. Like, you know, I was 16 years old. But now I'm a little older. I understand what that meant. When I was 25 and 30, like I said, I was taking on the world and aggressive and conflict seeking and everything else. And again, I, I still do engage my conflicts when I have to, no question about that. But but yeah, just as you get older and a little bit wiser, you realize you don't kick down every door, you can open it slowly and, and, and make sure things are there. But like I said, in terms of traders, I've seen a lot of really talented traders. I, I've seen them lose their minds a little bit where, again, 
when I'm talking to traders, at least from a psychological standpoint, I feel like part of my job is to knock you off your high horse when you're too high and kind of build you up when you're, when you're, when you're too low on yourself. Because like I said, as long as the saddest day any trader has is not the biggest loss, it's the day that they have to look themselves in the mirror and say, I just can't do this anymore. I can't do this financially. I can't do this mentally. I have to move on and tackle something different. Trading's a real passion for a lot of people. Something people love more than the money. They love the hunt of it. They love the day-to-day -day of it. And the day that they have to hang up their keyboard, as I say, is usually the saddest day. So just get to yourself to a point where you're, you're even keeled enough. And again, look, there, there's a day for everybody where you've got responsibilities and you just can't, you can't do this professionally. Sure. That's somebody needs to tell you that more than you tell yourself that, but it's usually a, a wife or a husband saying, take it easy. You know, you, you can't lose any more money here. Yeah. Cause like I said, it is a very risky endeavor if you don't know what you're doing or even if you do know what you're doing, but yeah, you got to stay even keeled and make sure you're, uh, you're tackling the market day by day. Even if you do know what you're doing, it's a very dangerous game. <laughs> right. I mean, I've seen traders make a, a, a truckload of money and then the market changes a little bit and they just can't anymore. They can't adapt. They can't adjust. They're used to a certain lifestyle yes. and their lives unravel. And, and you, you know, you, you need somebody to set you down and just say, hey, listen, let's go to lunch. Let's take it easy. You'll be fine. And then get back on the horse. How did you learn that yourself when you were trading? The caution of having to be frugal and or not get too high on horse. My problem as a trader personally was I wasn't overly risk seeking. So I was a, to use a baseball analogy, I was a singles and a doubles hitter, right? I, I was never catching that one amazing trade that made your year. I was a, a guy who said, I want to make $500 a day, $1,000, whatever the number was. And I wanted to be consistent in making it where, and then as I started working more and more in the business and I got to meet bigger and bigger traders, I realized that the best traders aren't up every day. I tried to make money every single day. And if I didn't, and I was making money, let's say 16 out of 20 days a month, those four days were bothering me. But remember, when I was making money, I wasn't making a ton of money. I wasn't losing a ton of money. I was sort of slugging around. The best traders might make money eight out of 20 days in a month. And it's it's just a risk reward thing where they're making money, they're making four times what they're losing. The risk rewards are four, four to one. And they're they're hitting one home run a quarter where they really knock the cover off the ball. I was always the guy who was cutting my winners off too soon and cutting my losers off too soon and looking to nickel and dime everything. Because like I said, I didn't I didn't have the resources when I was younger to to take those big losses and whatnot. So it taught me discipline. But like I said, as I started to see bigger and bigger traders, I said to myself, you know what? I probably should get on the other side of the coin here, give up the keyboard and really focus more on brokerage and, and working with traders and bringing in, in, in new people. And that's really where my career kind of took me around 2010 somewhere. Yeah. I imagine in a lot of ways, the kind of trader you are really serves you now because you can be sensitive to all the different kinds of traders that do exist out there that are going to have different needs, each one of them. So sure. just to be able to, I imagine, offer your services to meet those different needs, that's, I imagine, part of that customer service can only, when you have tasted what an experience is like, 
you can really transform what you deliver. No, absolutely. And like, like I said, I think that's what separates me and separates us from other other firms. And like I said, I, I've always been a high road guy in the sense of if I want you to work with me, my job is not to tear down every other firm. There's a lot of great firms. You and I were talking about mutual people we know in the business that are, that are good people. Yep. And they run quality firms and they're, and they're great guys and great gals and everything else. Like I said, we have a very specific niche in the marketplace. We think we do a really good job with it. And like I said, just because you're working with Mondium doesn't mean you can't work with two or three other different firms out there. And, yeah. and like so there's a lot of good ones. There's a lot of bad ones too. There's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of snake oil salesmen out there also. Sure. But but yeah, like I said, I, I think that some of the guys, people on my staff have traded or they have a passion for trading as well. They understand what it means to kind of be in the trenches of this, which is a very different kind of a feeling where a trader has a bad day and you need somebody that really understands what that's like. So when, I, when I'm when i very specific with the people that I hire and people I have around me, because I think that Demondium is bigger than me. It's Preston and Frank and Kate and, and all these different people. But yeah, I, I like to think we do a good job of it. We're, we're tr- looking to grow a customer base and slowly but surely we are. Beautiful. Tell us what Mondium means. We had a, uh, a naming convention where we went out and we were looking for a short name that had a one word URL. I believe Mondium means crown in French and Latin, I believe. That's where it came from. I joke that Mondium has two M's in it, just like my initials, although that's just a coincidence. But it's one of those things where, like I said, we wanted a short URL, an interesting name, something a little bit off the beaten path. Like I said, it's got crown is really where it comes from, like king and crown and queen and and everything else. So we thought that was uh, a good place to start. Of course, every PR firm we work with, they would say the same thing. Nobody can pronounce it. I got the hats with the big M on it. People are like, is that you? I'm like, it is today. <laughs> so um, we're, we're standing behind it. At some point, we're going to have to come out with like a like a page on the website that says, what the hell is a Mondium anyway? I love and, and come up with that. Crown um, powerful. You that's it. Oscar is like king and queen. So I think that's a great. Uh, you know what? I'm going to steal that. You didn't copyright that. I'm taking that. So oh, there we go. Right over a half hour. You can have curtain call. I'll take Mondium where you're treated like a king and a queen. So that's right. it. And before we close, we just have to talk about what's hanging over your shoulder because it's so eye-catching, and I know everybody watching is going to want to know. So just talk a little bit about that amazing jersey. My wife was at a uh, ladies who lunch auction, and she was looking to bid on something. And I have a good friend of mine who we spent a lot of time uh, going to Islander hockey games this year. I probably went to 10 or 12 of them, probably more hockey than I've ever seen in my life. So she said, first of all, she said, oh, I bought you this Ranger jersey. It's not a ranking jersey, so she didn't know exactly what she was buying. But what it is, is it's, um, I had to explain it to her, oh. but it is what it is. Signed jersey for all of the players from the 1980 Olympic hockey team that beat the Soviets and won the gold medal in 1980. It says Miracle on the top, and you said a year, signatures all over it. I don't want to say what she paid for it, because I'm, I'm still making mortgage payments on it, I think. But yeah, I, I wanted it framed in the office. I have an office here on Long Island, which is, which is gorgeous. Love, I'm six minutes away from my house, so no more Long Island Railroad for me. Perfect. But, uh, but yeah, like I said, you come up the stairs, you see it. I, I, it's very inspiring, and almost everybody that comes up says they love it, so I had to hang it up on the wall. It, it's a game I will never forget watching for the rest of my life, and I felt like every American was watching that game 
butthole series it was. If you guys have listening to this that are young and have never seen that game, oh my god, you just we were sitting on the edge of our seat for a long time, but it was it was a miracle. It was a miracle that our team won. It was just crazy that we won. It was just I, I like the Disney movie with Kurt Russell that plays Herb Brooks a couple of years back called Miracle. It was fantastic. You can't it's like the movie Rocky. You can't leave without getting goosebumps. But yeah, I we I don't want to say I picked it out, so I'll give my no. credit. But she did she did good. She did good with that is she or not. She did good. <laughs> Everybody that comes to the office, I have meetings here all the time will come up and say, man, that's a really awesome piece. And I'm, so I hung it up on the wall. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Mike, you're very, very unique man. I am so happy we got to meet. We have Andrew Aziz to thank for that. And, Amen. Uh, really Another good friend of mine. We're, we're uh, And again, I, I invited you as well. We're uh, we ready the bell in the New York Stock Exchange at the end of the month. So if you happen to be in New York and you can come in for uh, a slice and uh, we'd love to have him. Pizza and a ring of the bell. I would just, it would be hard for me to be torn away. <laughs> hey, listen, well, you'll go back to Hawaii and New Woman, right? Because it, it's fantastic out there. But uh, no, it was, it, was, it was great being on. Thank you so much for having me. But we'll do this again. Yes, absolutely. Have a great rest of the day. And thank you for coming on the Wall Street Coach Podcast. This has been the Wall Street Coach Podcast with Kim Ann Curtin. You can find out more about her and her team online at thewallstreetcoach.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.